Today's scripture is Romans 6, 4. Please read with us. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Good morning. morning. Happy Sabbath. It's good to be here, isn't it? Well, I don't know if I'd be convinced, but it sounds like some of you are glad to be here. Now, um, okay, I need a teenager. I thought that was uh, funny what you said earlier. Um, Anyway, if this is the right instrument, I just use... uh, The arrow sounds like, okay. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, we were talking about taking up the offering. Oh, okay, so now you're not supposed to see that. Close your eyes. (laughs) No, you were right, I was right. Okay, (laughs) thank you very much, I'm sorry. I'm looking at this over here. And, uh, but during the, when we were talking about Adventist World Radio, what an impact Adventist World Radio was having on the world. I, I mean, I, I really love the story that uh, Dan shared because that and many more stories, and uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, I just kind of whispered to Dan, I know you shouldn't do that in church, but I was whispering to him, and I, I was saying that that's a great story because in Wisconsin, the, um, the, the guy that was in charge of Adventist World Radio in France has a, has a real burden to uh, set up radio stations. And there are quite a few here in Wisconsin because of that work. And um, I know that some churches are re- in Wisconsin are really benefiting from having Adventist World Radio, especially if you don't have somebody there to provide programming. They provide the programming for you, which is really, really nice. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Bill Oaks, and my wife Gladys is sitting in the second pew. We no longer sit together in church. Um, I felt bad about that. I thought I should have come over there, but I didn't want to disappoint Dan, and uh, so, anyway. But um, I am the Plan Giving and Trust Service Director for the Wisconsin Conference, and it's hard to believe that it's been uh, in two months I'll have been doing that for four years already. And uh, yeah, time really flies. I still feel kind of new. And um, my privilege is to go around Wisconsin and visit the churches on Sabbath, not every Sabbath, but maybe two or three a month. And uh, we get to meet the people in Wisconsin and talk about planned giving and then to share a sermon. And I was just kidding, Dan, that I, I said, I just need 20 minutes for the plan giving part. And he, he laughed, and I thought, why are you laughing? <laughs> but all I want to say is, is that um, some people don't realize that we do have a trust department here in Wisconsin, and we help people, our members and friends of the church, 
perhaps those who are listening online this morning with their wills and trusts, power of attorneys, updating their will and trusts. And uh, we provide that, and when I say we, Wisconsin Conference, that's all of us, we provide that as a service to our members. And, uh, and it's free. Um, we, of course, uh, we know that people will want to take care of their family, uh, perhaps friends, um, things that are important to them, and perhaps leave uh, something to the Lord's work in Wisconsin. And so that's how we keep going. And uh, I was just looking, and I really wasn't searching for this, but I discovered recently, just kind of looking around, in the last or 10 years, from 2000, uh, roughly 2010 to 2000, uh, I'm sorry, 2018, um, 10 years, Wisconsin Conference received about $3 million um, to, the, to various churches, schools, and Wisconsin Conference in, those, in that period. In the last three years and a couple of months, uh, we have received $3 million for, from schools, for our schools, our churches, and the conference. Can you say amen to that? And I, I can't uh, express to you how important it is for a conference to have those, uh, that support. And especially being a small conference, it helps us to do things like you saw on the video there at uh, building, what is it, building our future. I keep thinking of building a faith. When I was here, we had this building of faith thing. Building our future, uh, uh, about 320,000 came from a trust here in Wisconsin. And of course, we're trying to match that. And I want to thank all of you for what you're doing either with your muscles, your brains, or your finances, or your prayers to help with that project there at Wakanda. It's going to be great. So that's all, all I'm going to say about uh, trust services. But I want you to know there's a card. Uh, we tried to, I tried to get here in time to get it into the bulletin. If you haven't gotten a card that describes a little bit of what we, is available and how you can contact me, there'll be a card out in the foyer for you or in your bulletin, one of the two. So let's pause a moment and have prayer. Dear Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of being here in the Madison East Church. I thank you for what you're doing here in this church, among these people here, and the churches here in uh, Madison, and uh, reaching uh, our, our world here for you in many different ways. And uh, Father, I pray as we open up your word, as we talk about um, the finished work that Jesus did on the cross and the progress that, that that enables us to have, I pray that you will speak to our hearts about that. Thank you for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, oh, I just keep making this worse, don't I? How can I back up to the beginning? Here we go. You know, I'm just going to complain one thing. How come there's no arrows on this front and back? Okay. All right. So here I, I, I got it now. Thank you. So we all know what this is by now. <laughs> um, this is, of course, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And if you've been on Facebook for more than a few minutes, you've seen a picture of someone standing in front of the Tower of Pisa, right? And 
just using a little technique, easy technique with your camera and distance and depth. It looks like this fella is holding up the Tower of Pisa. And I love some of the pictures I found. I found some with entire families holding up the, the tower, you know, somebody using his feet to hold it up. And uh, of course, the Tower of Pisa is located in Pisa, Italy. Um, that may not, may seem like it's apparent, but it might not be. And for centuries, it was assumed that the 12th century architect, and I just love saying his name, I'll tell you honestly, his name is Bonanno Paisano, okay? How come some people get all the great names, okay? And so he was the architect from the 12th century. And uh, apparently, like everything else is being questioned, in recent years there's been speculation that the building was actually from another architect by the name of Dio T. Salvi. I don't like saying his name as much, but, but whoever designed the power of Pisa, you can be sure of this, the leaning aspect of this tower was not in the original blueprint, right? I'm quite sure they didn't design it this way. It was intended, of course, to be straight up, vertical. And it's interesting to note that the original designer, whomever it was, did not live to see its completion. I don't know if you knew that before. That's because from the day they broke ground to the proverbial ribbon cutting, it took a total of 199 years to finish this building. That is amazing. It's amazing that it took so long. When you consider how long it took to build other great monuments, right? And I think of some of these, uh, Gladys and I are gonna be able to, to see the Colosseum there in Rome this uh, fall. It took 10 years to build this uh, colossal building and it's quite intricate. I've been studying a little bit, so I know a little bit when I get there and I can pretend I, I know what I'm talking about. And uh, this one, the Great Pyramid of Giza, took 20 years to build. And then of course, you're all familiar with the Buckingham Palace, it took 23 years. And that, that's the one that kind of surprised me a little bit, right? 23 years to build the palace. So it's surprising that a building that doesn't quite stand up straight took 199 years to complete. What a work in progress, right? Definitely was. Imagine the number of laborers. Have you ever thought of, you know, maybe if you knew this, you know, have you thought about 199 years, how many people over the centuries, those two centuries, spent their entire lives working on the Tower of Pisa? Their children worked on the Tower of Pisa. Their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren worked, perhaps, on the Tower of Pisa. And I wonder how many of them stopped at some point and kind of went, huh, is it just me or is this thing slanting a little bit? And you know, it's slanting about five, a little over five degrees, is what I've been told. It looks a lot more than five degrees to me. But uh, that's what they say, and I'm sure you'll Google it up, and uh, if I'm not right, tell me afterwards. But uh, that's what I discovered. And, and I wonder, well, I find this leaning aspect of the tower fascinating, that it's still standing, right, after all these years. Uh, apparently, we're told that it does, they don't plan on it falling. Like, it's, it's good to go with this five degrees. But, but what I really find fascinating in this 199 years part is that it is a work in progress. It kind of intrigues me, okay? 
that something could be worked on for that long, right? And no doubt uh, you have seen at some time in your daily commute, whether to school or to work, you have seen buildings under construction, right? We've all seen it. And you start thinking to yourself, I wonder what it's going to be, you know, when it's done. There, there's a new building. And, and you see, they, you know, they're preparing the groundwork like we saw what's happening at Camp Wakanda. And uh, every day you see more progress taking place. You know, they got the foundation and then the walls and, and then the beams and the windows and the roof and the exterior. And, and sure enough, after a month or so later, it's the grand opening of, of course, it's got to be a quick trip, right? How many quick trips can you have? You know, there's a lot of quick trips. And uh, I'll tell you something that's a little funny to us one time. It may not be funny to you, but um, our grandson, uh, second oldest, he's, he was about eight at the time, eight or nine, ninth birthday. And uh, they said, well, what do you want for your birthday meal? They usually do up things really big in John and Carol's house. And he says, well, I want chicken from Quick Trip. So that's what they had. That was the birthday meal. I don't know. Tell me, is that is that good? Is that okay? It's not. I guess, apparently, it's good. Okay. And uh, however, though, when a building takes 199 years to complete, you can go decades. Okay. So the Quick Trip, you see the steady progress. You can see things moving along, and, and then it's built, and you know what it is. But when it comes to 199 years to complete, you can go decades without seeing any measurable change, right? I mean, it's like your whole generation has passed, and I never saw a brick go on there, you know? And, and so here's, here's my point, okay? And it was in the Newsy News. Uh, spiritual growth, okay? Spiritual growth to me is the process of becoming holy, is another way of saying it. But when I break it all down, the process of becoming holy is the process of becoming like Jesus. Yes or no, do you like that? That's really when you break it down, that's what holiness is. It's becoming more like Jesus. It's, and that process, spiritual growth, is more like the construction of the Tower of Pisa than it is like the construction of a local quick trip. You know where I'm going with this, right? So it doesn't happen quietly, quite as quickly as we would like it to go, right? It, it's a long, sometimes lifetime process. In fact, sometimes it seems, has it ever felt like it's never gonna work? Like it's never gonna get done, right? And uh, I was reading, I never heard of this lady but she said something that I thought was pretty cute. Her name is Regina Brett, and uh, she's actually uh, nominated for a Pulitzer Prize in writing, and she has a podcast and uh, columnist. And she, in one of her columns, she was talking about people who are a work in progress, and then just dot, 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 without the progress, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think we all can think of people, hopefully we're not thinking a lot about that, but we know some people who would qualify for that. And to be honest, and I'm being real honest and sincere, is I have felt sometimes that that label has fit me. 
And maybe you have felt that way too. We don't always see the spiritual progress in our lives like we'd like to see. But I have good news for you. If you are a believer, all right? If you are a believer, you, if you continue to be a follower of Christ, the building will be completed, it will pass inspection, and it will last forever. That's good news. And today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that talks about this very idea. And I'd like you, we're going to do something old-fashioned. We're going to open up our Bibles just for a minute here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. I'm, I'm going to be reading, um, uh, it's not on the screen the same, but I'm going to be reading New King James. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 9. And here we go. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ." Here's my favorite part. God is faithful. By whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It's a wonderful passage. And uh, the, the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Corinth, Corinthians is kind of what most of what we're looking at right now. This letter, just for those of you who like little facts, this is the second longest letter in the New Testament, the longest by just a little bit, is the book of Romans. And if Paul titled this letter, and if you go ahead and read 1 Corinthians, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It, uh, it, the title, if he had titled it, it would have been titled, Good News for the Not So Good. Really. 1 Corinthians was written in about AD 55, give or take a year. And it was written to the church at Corinth, obviously, uh, which was not a building like Madison East. It was a number of house churches. So they would send the letter to one of the house churches and they would read it and they would pass it on and they would pass it around until everyone got a chance to hear the words that Paul had written. And Corinth, as you probably know, is uh, part of a sophisticated seaport. It was a seaport city. It was a key city in terms of commerce and trade and tourism. But notably, more than anything else, it was known as a city filled with idolatry and immorality. It was like, okay, I hate to pick on a city, but it was like the Las Vegas, right, of their time. And this sometimes found this immorality, this idolatry, this way of life, it found its way into the church. And if you read again, you read the first two books. And there was a third, by the way, that we don't have anymore. But as you read these two letters, you discover that it created a number of problems for 
the church there. And Paul wrote to the believers at Corinth. I, you know, I should have moved forward a little bit here. Sorry about that. That should have been up there. But Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth. And at times, as you read, and I'm encouraging you to read it this afternoon maybe, that uh, his letter, he speaks to them in a rather harsh terms sometimes. I mean, really, ways in which I would not feel comfortable talking to people many times. I can read it, but it would be hard to preach it. And at other times, he speaks to them very gently. He's encouraging. He's, he's positive about their future and optimistic. And, and that's because, if you think about it, that's because this body of believers who may at times have not seemed so good were still God's people. Amen? They were God's people bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And they were heirs according to all the promises, right? By the way, just like we are, right? And today we may not deal with the same issues that plague the Corinthians, but we haven't attained perfection either, have we? I'm guessing not. Not as a church, not as individuals. We're still what I like to call, and others have called, a work in progress. And so Paul's words to the Corinthians fit our church. Whatever church I preach in, it, it fits in very well. And so today, as we look a little closer at the nine verses we read earlier, I want us to see three aspects of the work in progress that God is doing in your life. Let me say that a little slower so you know, again, what we're trying to do. We're going to look, and by the way, I'm looking at the clock and it says noon. Do, do I have to quit at noon? Okay. Um, I'm, it might be another five minutes or so. Most of you remember me, right? I'm the guy that never ends. No, I, I, no, I don't want to discourage you. I don't want you to leave. Uh, but I'm going to finish. But we're going to look at three aspects, fairly quick. This is going to go quickly, I, I promise you. Three aspects of the work in progress that God is doing in your life. Three features or three characteristics of the work that God is doing in your life. And so first of all, we need to know this. This is the first aspect. You have been given the holiness that you don't yet have. And I'm going to explain that. Paul begins his letter in earnest in verse 2. He says, To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Now, you know the word sanctified. Oh, by the way, let me, let me read. Uh, yeah, that's good. And uh, the word sanctified, I mean, you may have seen this in the New Testament quite a bit, right? And uh, some have described it as a good Wesleyan word. It's a good Methodist. If you were a Methodist, you would use this name a lot uh, back in the day. And what this word means is set apart. So every time I see this word in the New King James that I read normally, I automatically put in when I see sanctified, set apart for a special purpose. Did you know that God has set all of us apart? For a special purpose. Wow. That's really nice to remember that, isn't it? And what's that special purpose? 
Well, our special purpose, according to this, the rest of this passage, is that we become what? Holy. And remember, our definition of becoming holy is becoming like Jesus, right? So we have been set apart for a special purpose, which is to become more and more like Jesus. That's really good news. We, in other words, we have been set apart so that we might become who God meant us to be. By the way, the scriptures say it over and over again in the New Testament, just in different ways. But we see a distinction in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I know that some have brought this up to me, so I'm going to throw this slide out there. And may God himself, and this is Paul speaking in both of these passages, the God of peace sanctify you through and through. The one who calls you, you is what? Again, faithful. And he, what's the next word? Will do it. That's the future tense, right? So people look at that verse. And then they look at the verse that we're looking at this morning. And uh, they read this. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and are called to be his holy people. That sounds like we are sanctified. That we, That's a present situation, right? So people ask me, uh, Bill, is which is correct? Will we be sanctified or are we sanctified? And I would say the answer is both. Don't you love answers like that? We are both, and here's why. We have been sanctified in word so that we may become sanctified in deed. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. We were set apart. Again, that word sanctified. We were set apart at salvation so that as we live the Christian life, we might become holy, that we might become more and more like Jesus. And to say that he's given us a holiness that we don't yet have, we could agree on that, is like saying that he's given us a title that we have not yet attained, right? And, you know, I was looking for examples of this. Imagine calling somebody the heavyweight champion of the world when they haven't yet stepped into the boxing ring, right? It's like that. And imagine naming a student as the senior class valedictorian on the first day of kindergarten, right? See, God has made you holy in word so that you may become holy or like Jesus in all that you do. But let's not forget that holiness is a process. Have you ever heard that before? That sanctification is the work of a, help me out, the work of a lifetime. It's not the work of a moment. It's not the work of a day or a year. It's the work of a lifetime. By the way, um, believers never use that as an excuse to keep on doing what they want to do, okay? But it is a work of a lifetime. And I think of this guy. You probably have saw him quite a bit uh, a few months ago, right? More than we wanted to. And... Uh, you know, I sat in someone's house as a church member, used to be a church member, and uh, I looked at her and I said, has anyone ever told you that you look like Queen Elizabeth? And she's kind of blushed. She was, she's like 99 years old, right? And all of the family said, 
I've always thought that. It's just the way she carries herself, the way she talks, and she looks like Queen Elizabeth. I like being around her, but that's not what this is about. It has to do, I mean, of course, she passed away recently, right? But of course, who is this guy? This is Charles III, the monarch, the current monarch of England, and we've always known him as Prince Charles. Prince Charles, heir apparent to the throne. Well, that didn't change. He was always the heir apparent, even when he didn't act very kingly, right? Did he always act kingly? No. He was still destined to be the king that he became. And uh, God, you know, this is kind of abrupt, but God has a calling in your life. He won't take it back. He won't change his mind, okay? You may change your mind, but he won't change his mind, right? He'll give you what you want if you really want it bad enough, but, but God has a calling in all of our lives. He has called you to be holy, and he has committed himself to helping you to become like Jesus. So keep this in mind, even though you haven't quite yet attained the title that you have been given as saints, remember that you're a work in progress, and God isn't finished with you yet. Of course, I found that in the back of a car, but that is true. But to get there, here's the second idea that I want you to see in this process of becoming like Jesus. In other words, well, let's just read it. You have been given all the gifts that you will ever need. Tell me that's what it says back there, right? Look at verse five. In, ye, in him, and who is him here? It's Christ. In Christ, you have been enriched in, what is that word? In every way. I wish it would stop right there, but he goes on and he mentions a couple. In all of your speaking, in all of your knowledge, and then in verse seven, he says, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await the Lord Jesus. And then, for those of you who are familiar with 1 Corinthians, when you get to chapter 12, Paul details how every believer, every one of us who call upon the name of Christ, who accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, he has filled us with his spirit and given every one of us a spiritual gift. Did you know that? Now, I've had people say, now, Pastor, I know, this is usually a nominating committee, now, I know what the Bible says, but, and I'm like, no, 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 but. That's what it says, every believer. And what I've discovered is believers normally have more than one spiritual gift, especially when they use them. God gives them more and more. In fact, you can be sure that God will give you whatever you need as a believer when you need it. Do you believe that, dear family? And this is what Paul says. That's not my thoughts. This is what Paul says in uh, Philippians 4.19, and he says, and my God will meet, what is the word? All of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He will meet all of our needs. Now, many of us grew up in the 70s. And when I read that, you know what I heard? God will meet all of my material needs whenever I need it, right? If I need a new house, I'll get a new house. 
Need a new car? I'll get a new car. That's how a lot of people read that, physical, physical. And our physical or material needs are included in that, I believe that, of course. But this verse refers to so much more. And this is a promise that if you will allow, God will give you whatever you need when you need it. He'll give you the strength that you need, amen? He'll give you the courage that you need, the determination that you need, the grace, the forgiveness that you need, the mercy that you need. Whatever God has called you to do, he will equip you and empower to be and to do what God has called you to do. It's great news, folks. This stuff is great. Maybe sometimes you're tempted to say, as I've been tempted to say, and I, I'm ashamed to say it, but I, I just, I'm going to be, I want to be honest because I think other people feel this way. Uh, sometimes I have thought, I'm not sure that I have what it takes to be what God wants me to be, to do, to do what he wants me to do. I've felt that uh, very strongly at several times in my life, and God showed me that wasn't true. And uh, I'm not sure, and then to make matters worse, maybe you felt like I have at times, that I have, I, I'm not sure, dear Lord, that I have what it takes to be the kind of person that you want me to be. Have you ever felt that way? I felt that way. But I want you to know that you do have what it takes. Don't stone me. Only not in your own strength. But in his strength and his power that is working in you, if you are a believer. Listen to what he says. You know, by the way, I'm getting all this from the Bible, right? So listen to what Paul says in Philippians. For it is, what does it say? God who works in you. See, we were talking about who isn't doing it. It's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Isn't that good news? You know, what I hear from that is this verse is saying that God gives you the desire to do what's good and right, and he gives you and I the ability to do what he's asking us to do. Isn't that, what more can God do? You know, I mean, just think about it. All the gifts you need to live a life for Jesus are already yours in Christ. You remember the words that Paul said, I think it's in verse eight of our passage. He said, you have been enriched in every way. This is what he wanted the believers in Corinth to understand, even though at the moment in the city of Corinth, there was a little disconnect between their calling and their current condition. Go back and read it. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. They were still a work in progress, just like we are. This prog progress may be taking a little longer than you and I would like. Maybe longer than our spouses would like. Maybe a little longer than our church members and our pastor would like. But it brings me to the third truth that I want you to see. This third aspect of this work in progress that's taking place. And we'll put it up there on the screen. You have been given the victory that you can't yet see. Let me explain. Think of the process involved in building the tower. Construction begins in 1173 with the laying of the found foundation. 
Now zoom forward 100 years. It's now 1273, almost 100 years. And the building still isn't finished. There's no one alive anymore that was there when the building started. Now, in fact, you know, it's half done. It looks like it will never be completed. And when it, but just wait a minute, it will be completed. We know it will be completed. And when it is, it will be magnificent. Even though it's leaning. I mean, we're talking about this thing how many years later, right? We're still talking about the leaning tower of Pisa. And I want to shift a little bit to, uh, to Jesus and his ministry as it came to a close here on planet Earth. Things seemed to quickly unravel for him. Have you read the closing words and chapters of the Gospels where things are unraveling, right? People are out to get him. Every effort is made to sabotage his work. They, they're lying about him. They're trying to catch him in, in, in a mistake. And they're turning, trying to turn the tide of public opinion against him. He was betrayed by a friend with a kiss. He was arrested and beaten and ridiculed, abandoned by nearly everyone. And as he was led to his death, you tell me, did it seem like at that moment as he's led to his death, as he's hanging on the cross, did he seem like a conquering hero to you? Did he? Not knowing what you know now, right? I like what John Stott, I've been reading this book for like the third time. It came out in 1986. I'm like, was I born in 19? Yes, I was. And this was one of the 19... Don't seem so surprised, Tony, okay? You should have saw the look on his face, like, what? <laughs> but listen to what John Stott says. Of course, any contemporary observer who saw Christ die would have listened with astonished incredulity to the claim that the crucified was the conqueror. Him, a king? Really? This is why it was so hard for people to believe who he was. He had, had he not been rejected by his own nation, betrayed, denied, and deserted by his own disciples, and executed by authority of the Roman procurator? I mean, wow. Listen, what, let's go on a little bit farther. Look at him there. This is hard sometimes even to read, but he says, look at him there. Spread eagled and skewered on the cross. Robbed of all of his freedom of movement. Strung up with nails or ropes or both. Pinned there and powerless. He appears, it appears to be total what? Defeat. That's an accurate description, if you ask me. But my dear friends, nothing could be further from the truth. Amen? Listen what John Stott goes on. He says, yet the Christian claim is that the reality is the opposite of the appearance. And then he says these words, what looks like and indeed was the defeat of goodness by evil is also and more certainly the defeat of evil by goodness. Overcome there, he was himself overcoming, 
crushed by the ruthless power of Rome, he was himself crushing the serpent's head. The victim was the victor, and the cross is still the throne from which he rules the world. I don't think anyone could have said it better than Scripture. On the cross, his was a victory that could not yet be seen. Would you agree? But it was as real as possible, as it could be. And I want you to know that the victory that Jesus received and won for us has paved the way for our victory. Didn't Paul say he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ? Today you may feel like you're never going to get there. But I want you to know that God has given you a victory that maybe you just can't see it yet. And he will bring his work in your life to completion. This is why Paul said again in our passage in verse 8, he will keep you strong how long? To the end. To the end. So that, he, that you will be blameless on the day of Christ. Now verse 9, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I know it's in the passage we read. The very next verse, I think, says, God is faithful. I love those verses. We are not faithful, but God is faithful. The phrase strong to the end means, and he will help us to be faithful. I want to point that out. The phrase strong to the end means that he will sustain you. He will empower you and I. And when he needs to, he will carry you. Has he ever carried you before? As Paul said to the church in Philippi, you notice I've been hanging out in Philippians a lot lately. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. Who you are and what you will become may not be obvious to others. So be careful how you treat God's people. Amen. It may not be obvious even to you, but it is God who sees and God who knows. And he plans to make it happen. The leaning tower of Pisa took how long? 199 years to complete. God will finish what he began in you. Even though it may seem like forever. Even if you seem or feel weak sometimes. Do you feel that way? You're in good company because Paul felt weak. He talked to God about it. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When he's talking about some of the trials that he has faced, he quotes Christ saying to him, these are the words of Christ to Paul, the Apostle Paul, my grace is what? Sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Again, what can I say? This is good news, right? Because he came to the right guy. That's me. But God says his power is made perfect in weakness. Now it's true, we may still lean a little bit. But when we yield ourselves fully to him, he will sustain us. He will empower us. 
In our weakness, his power is made perfect. And you know, that's the way it should be because who gets, who gets the credit? God gets the credit. God gets the glory for what happens in our lives, right? It's not me. It's not you. You are a work in progress. Even if you lean a little bit. God will finish the work that he began in you. By the way, that's not my promise. That's God's promise. Don't forget that. It says that I'm supposed to have prayer at this point. Is that right? So I'm going to pray. And I hope that you'll go home and think about the things that you've heard today and look them up. And uh, be encouraged and strengthened by God's word. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just want to pause. And we are just awestruck at your plan of salvation. We are awestruck in this great exchange where we hand over our sins to Jesus. He takes them upon himself and he gives us his righteousness. We just sometimes don't know what to do with that. And all we can do is accept that great gift. Father, thank you for setting us apart for a purpose, a holy purpose, a special purpose, to become like Jesus in this world. And however that plays out in our individual lives, we'll leave that up to you. But Father, I pray that we'll never give up on you, that we'll keep coming to you and and taking your promises as something that are sure and can be trusted. And Father, help us to remember that your grace is sufficient for us and no matter where we are, what situation, what we're doing, and who we are today. Because your power is made perfect in weakness. You know what's going on in our lives. Lord, help us. And Father, help us wherever we go, whether it's home, especially home, our workplace, school. Give us your blessing that we might in turn be a blessing to others. Thank you for hearing our prayer. We don't deserve it, but we ask for it and we accept your gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's continue our worship service and we're gonna sing the closing song, When We All Get to Heaven. We're all looking for that, amen? amen. Number 633, when we all get to heaven.